If you've got your Bibles, let's turn to uh, Genesis chapter 2. We finished up chapter 1 last week as we continue our study in Genesis. And uh, today we will continue in Genesis chapter 2. And the title of our lesson is The Seventh Day. Is that too loud? You working on it? Okay. All right, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So let's, let's read those three verses. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which he created and which he uh, made. I was thinking uh, this past couple, as I was working on this for the past couple weeks, I was thinking about our culture and how much culture can change, uh, not only in 50 years, but in 100 years or 200 years. If you and I had lived, let's say, back in colonial America, uh, late 1700s, 1800s, uh, and we acted the way we do today on the Sabbath, we would have probably spent a lot of time in the stocks. Everybody remember what the stocks were, the, the things you put your hands in? They were a form of punishment that was meant to publicly humiliate people for breaking the law. And you say, well, why would we have been in the stocks? Well, because doing certain things on Sunday, the Sabbath, uh, was, con- was illegal. If you traveled on the Sabbath, if you uh, uh, did some sort of recreation on the Sabbath, they, they would throw you in the stocks and, and try to humiliate you and shame you into changing your behavior. I ran across this, co- this quote from a guy by the name of C.H. McIntosh. He, he was a preacher in the 1800s, he said this, The idea of anyone that calls himself a Christian making the Lord's Day a season of what is popularly called recreation, unnecessarily, unnecessary traveling, personal convenience, or profit in temporal things is perfectly shocking. We are of the opinion that such acting could not be too severely censored. We can safely assert that we have never yet came in contact with a godly, intelligent, right-minded Christian who did not love and reference the Lord's Day, nor could we have any sympathy with anyone who could deliberately desecrate that holy and that happy day. That was C.H. McIntosh. He lives a preacher in the 1800s. Now, the fact is, most Christians today don't think twice about doing things on Sunday that would have given C.H. McIntosh a heart attack. Right? We, we, we go shopping, we go out to eat, maybe we go fishing, play golf, we uh, clean the house, we mow the yard. All those kind of things would have put you in the stocks back, back in those days. Those are just things you didn't even do. I ran across uh, a, a couple years ago an article on a church that has actually moved their services to Friday night so that people could have their entire weekends free. Okay? Now, so, so there's a lot of change over the, the past couple hundred years, uh, or even the past hundred years with, as regards the Sabbath. How many of you, uh, grew up in a, in a county where certain things you just did not open on Sunday? How many of you grew up in a county where they didn't sell beer or wine on Sunday? Yeah. That's all gone. That, 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 that might exist in a pocket here or there, but even in the last, say, 50 years, we've seen a lot of change. Now, here's the question. What is the Bible? say about all this? 
At the end of the day, it's not so much about our culture and our society. It's about what does the, the Bible say. Now, the good news, the Bible has an awful lot to say about the Sabbath. I mean, it has a, from, from Genesis to uh, all the way into Revelation, it has a lot to say about the Sabbath. The bad news is that it's not always easy to interpret what it says. For example, I'll just give you an example, and we'll talk about this in a minute. If you go to the Ten Commandments, and God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and right there in the middle of them, you have the Fourth Commandment concerning the, the Sabbath. Let's read this one. This is found in Exodus 20. God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner which is in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now if I ask you today, what about the other nine commandments? Are they up for grabs? Can we have any other gods before before Him? Can we make idols? Can we can we lie? Can we commit adultery? Can we steal? Can we mur- no? There, there's no question about the other nine that they're permanent, that they're binding. What about number four? How can it be that the other nine commandments are permanent and binding, but number four is, is not? That's a that's an argument that a lot of people uh, pose or a lot of people make. See, there are people who still believe today that that fourth commandment is binding, that you should be having church, you should be having worship, and you should be having the Sabbath on a Saturday. Now, these are kind of broken into different groups. We've all heard of the Seventh-day Adventists, right? Did you know there's a group called the Seventh-day Baptists? I've never met any of them, but evidently there's a group out there called the Seventh-day Baptists. And both of these these groups believe that you should worship on Saturday. That, that is the correct day, that that's the fourth commandment, and, and that fourth commandment is still in, in, uh, in action or in place today. Um, and they believe it's permanently binding, so they worship on the Sabbath. The second group, there's also a second group which also keeps the Sabbath, but for them, it's no longer Saturday, it's Sunday, and that second group is, is us, it's you. They, what we do in most of Protestantism, we, we shift the, the day from Saturday to Sunday, but we still treat it as a Sabbath. In fact, many people, if I was here, how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but there's just certain things you will not do on a Sunday. Anybody? You got any limitations in your life that you just said, you know, I'll do all these, but that I will not do. I will not do. I know somebody in my family that's got some of those things. I won't mention who that is that we disagree on. But anyway, here we go, right? So there's just certain things. So you're, if, if there's certain things that you've said, look, I'm going to go to church on Sunday and worship on Sunday, and there's just certain things I won't do, you're in this group. Because you've basically just moved the Sabbath from the Saturday to the Sunday. But now, everybody with me? So these are kind of the, the, the two groups that exist out there today. The fact is, in the end... What we need to do is we not need to try to put aside culture. That's very difficult to do. When you've been raised a certain way your whole life, and you've been taught this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong, it is very difficult sometimes to come to the Bible and just set all that aside and say, what does the Bible teach about the Sabbath? How, what, what, you know, what, what does it teach? That's, that's easy to say. 
that's sometimes very difficult to do. So that's what we're going to try to do in our lesson this morning. I said last week that many of our lessons in Genesis will not be very, will not be very necessarily applicable to our lives today, but this one will be very applicable. What does the Bible teach us about the Sabbath? Now, to understand this, we have to go back, guess what, to the very beginning, and that is uh, Genesis. So we're going to start today with the seventh day. Look at verse 3, and I want to focus on this verse particularly. It says, Then God blessed the seventh day, and He sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Now, the root of the word sanctified is the same word as holy. It means to separate. But it's a, it's a separation that not, doesn't just separate horizontally, it separates vertically. And what I mean is it's a separation that elevates or exalts one thing above something else. So here in Genesis, for the first time, we have this idea that God is separating or elevating or exalting one day above another. And that's exactly what God does. He designates the seventh day as an exalted day, an elevated day, a day that is different from the other six. Now, according to the text, God does this for a very specific reason. It, it doesn't even leave us to guess. It just tells us. Because in it, He rested from all His work which He had created and made. In other words, this is a unique day because creation is done. Creation is complete. You remember, after He created man, He said, Behold, it was very good. It's better than good. It's beyond good. It's perfect. So he's, there's nothing else to do. So He stops and He sets aside a day because, look, I'm, I'm done. Now, let me be very clear about something. God does not get tired. Okay? Scripture tells us, Isaiah 40, 28, the Lord does not become weary and tired. God did not rest because He was tired. That word rest, in our, in, in our English terminology, when we hear the word rest, we think, well, I need to rest because I'm tired. But in the Hebrew, that word does not mean that. It, it literally means to just stop working. Whether you're tired or not tired, it just means to cease from busyness. Cease from doing anything. That's all it means. It doesn't mean He was tired or anything like like that. Now, I want you to notice something in verse 3. There is nothing in that verse about people resting. In fact, more than likely, as a perfect man, Adam didn't need to rest. He was a perfect man. There was no death or degradation or decay. By the way, what's, what's he got to do in the garden anyway? He's got to tend it, but I'm not even sure he's got to work very hard, right? Part of the curse was that he would bring forth... Uh, uh, stuff from the ground from the sweat of his brow. That was part of the curse, which tells me before the curse, he probably didn't even sweat. It's a perfect temperature. The stuff's growing on its own. He don't have to do anything. So what's he going to rest from? So he didn't really... There's nothing in this before the fall about people resting. Okay? Now, there's no Sabbath law given here. I, I want you to understand this, because this is really important that we understand this. God... There's nothing said here about this being a day of worship. There's nothing here about this being a day for people. It's isolated completely to God. God did it because in it He stopped creating. Okay? He was satisfied. He said, it's done, so I'm going to bless the seventh day. So, so again, why is this day elevated above the other six? Because the seventh day was to be a special memorial to His creation. It was a day to remember Him as 
Creator. Now, this is very important for us to understand if you want to understand the Sabbath. It's a day to remember the glory of God in creation. Every seventh day from here on out. So you got the first week, the seventh day says, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set this day aside so that people, so that, uh, it's a memorial to me as the Creator and that I did this in absolute perfection. Again, no mention here in Genesis uh, chapter 2 of this being a law. There's no mention here of it being a day of worship. In fact, the next time you run into the Word, 2,000 years have gone by. The next time we see this Word is in Exodus, I believe, chapter 16, in, in, in the days of Moses. This is, this is after Abraham. It's after Isaac, it's after Jacob, it's after uh, Joseph, it's after all, all those patriarchs have come and gone. And there's no mention, not one word, of those men ever worshiping on the Sabbath or setting aside the Sabbath. That's not instituted until the Mosaic Law. Okay? So God, again, in Genesis, creates this day as a memorial to Him as Creator. And we don't hear anything else about this until 2,000 years have come and gone in the law of Moses. Now, I want you to see what happens in Exodus uh, 31, 12 through 17. I want to read this to you. This is after the Ten Commandments have been given. This is after he's instituted the Fourth Commandment. God says this, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, look at that, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I the Lord, sanctify you. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. So 2,000 years go by. We get up to uh, actually more than 2,000 years. We come to Moses, and God says, okay, I'm going to create an agreement with this people. And the sign of that agreement is the Sabbath day. You're going to keep the Sabbath day as a sign. You remember when God made a covenant with Noah, the sign was what? A rainbow. When God made a covenant with Abraham, the sign was what? Circumcision. And when God creates the Mosaic covenant, the sign is the Sabbath day. That's what He, that's what he told us right here. But remember, sign, these signs are reminders of agreements or covenants or promises. When God put a, put a rainbow in the sky, it was to remind people that He had made a promise never to destroy the world again with a flood. When God created the, the sign of circumcision for the Abrahamic covenant, it was a reminder that He had promised to bless Abraham and to make him a, a great nation. So what is the Sabbath a reminder of? It's a covenant between God and the people of Israel. The sign is, 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 uh, is, is, is the Sabbath, but what's it a reminder? What, what promise? What agreement? See, the, the Sabbath was to remind people that they had forfeited paradise. See, in the law, God makes a promise. You remember, if you go back and read the, the Mosaic Covenant, God says, if you'll just obey me, your, your goats won't be born deformed. Your crops won't get sick. Everybody remember those things? Your crops won't get sick and die. There'll be no illness among you. See, what he's saying, if you'll just obey me and you'll walk in my law, I'll restore paradise among you. It'll be just like it was prior to paradise. Everybody with me? Or prior to the fall. So it's a promise, obey me, walk in my law, and I'll put things back the way they, they were. 
So God institutes this Sabbath among the Mosaic people, not for everybody, but just for Israel. It was a sign of the covenant. It wasn't for all the other people. It was just for them. And it was meant to remind them of a perfect creation that they had sinned, that they had rebelled against, and they had forfeited, and that they would that it could be restored to them through righteousness if they would walk in their law. So every Sabbath day, they were to stop everything they were doing, stop all their busyness, and they were to consider the law. They were to remember God the lawgiver. They were to recognize their sin. They were recognized they had forfeited uh, 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 paradise and, and they were to repent. See, the whole point of the Sabbath was to stop, look at yourself and repent and remember that you had forfeited paradise and that if you would only obey Him and walk in His ways, He would restore that to you. That was the point of the Sabbath. Stop what you're doing. See, I think that is so critical for us because it is so easy. We all do it during the week, and I know you know you do it because I do it. We get so busy. We just get so busy. Man, we're on Facebook, we're on the Internet, we're on our jobs. We're, and you, don't even, you can go through a whole day sometimes, you don't even think about God. You don't think about what's wrong in your life. You don't think about sin. And if we're not careful, we'll just roll that right through Sunday into the next week and into the next month and into the next year, and, and God's nowhere to be found. And God says, no, stop. Stop every seventh day. Stop everything you're doing and consider me. Consider sin. Consider repentance. Consider where you are in relationship to me. That's what he's telling the Israelites. So the first, first seventh day on the very first week was a memorial to God the Creator. The second Sabbath day was basically a memorial to God the Lawgiver. Okay? So those are the two differences there. So in Exodus, the Sabbath takes on a new meaning. Yes, it's still a reminder that God created, but it's also a remember, a reminder that that creation has been marred by sin. And it can only be reobtained through repentance and righteousness. Now, that brings us all the way to Jesus Christ. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and let me tell you, he absolutely changes everything. Listen, I tell people sometimes, Jesus didn't just come to cleanse the temple. He came to get rid of the temple. He didn't just come to say, you know, we got some bad priests. Let's keep the good ones and get rid of the bad ones. No, He came to abolish the priesthood. He came to get rid of Judaism with all its rituals and all its ceremonies and all that stuff. And the Sabbath was a part of that. He didn't come to make it better. He didn't come to, to, to restore it. He came to completely get rid of it. Now, we understand this if we begin to watch how Jesus treats the, the Sabbath. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I could stay on this subject for three weeks. So I'm just going to kind of compress it down this morning to, to get it into 45 minutes. So we won't cover all these, but I want to cover a particular one. Matthew chapter 12, 1 through 5. It says this, At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and His disciples became hungry, and He began to pick the heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to Him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, Jesus could say, Well, you know, you're right. Excuse me. Guys, y'all don't need to be doing that. Let's see what He does. So He says to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And those who were with him, 
how he entered the house of God and he ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. <coughs> I don't, I, I forget, this is either in 1 Samuel 21 or 1 Samuel 24. I can't remember which one, but if you go back and read it, David is on the run from, from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him and they're, they're hungry, they don't have anything to eat, and they show up at the temple and they, the only thing the priests have to eat is the showbread that, that's in the Holy of Holies. That's the only thing that they had to eat. And they gave it to David and them. And David and them didn't die. And that's what he's saying. Do you remember that? And he says, Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? See, they had built up this great thing where you couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. But yet every Sabbath the priests are in the temple sacrificing and working and cleaning and getting everything ready and moving people. They're working away. They, and, and Jesus said, what about that? They're not, they're not guilty. You see, what he's telling us here, he gives us two examples where the Sabbath is broken out of necessity. Let me say that again. He gives them two examples where the Sabbath is broken out of necessity. Now watch what he's doing. Listen, would you think he would ever say that we can commit adultery out of necessity and it would be okay? You think he'd ever say you can murder out of necessity and it's okay? No, see what he's doing here is he's making a differentiation between the Sabbath commandment and the other nine. See, the Sabbath commandment was never a moral commandment. It was always a symbolic. Therefore, it could be broken out of necessity and it was okay. Those, those were guiltless. He goes on to say in Matthew 12, 6 through 8, <coughs> excuse me, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Listen, Jesus can do anything He wants with the Sabbath. He can institute the Sabbath. He can make laws for keeping the Sabbath. He can, he can create punishments for breaking the Sabbath. And He can totally and completely nullify the Sabbath. He can do anything He wants to do with it because He's Lord of the Sabbath. See, we see a transition in the New Testament when it comes to the Sabbath. As Jesus comes on, on the scene, everything that's part of this system of Judaism is coming to an end, and that includes the Sabbath day. In Mark chapter 2, he says this, and he said to them, man, I love this statement, and I think we all know this statement, but we don't think about it enough. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Lord, so the, so the Son of Man is Lord even in, of the Sabbath. See, in that statement right there, Sabbath was made for the man, not man for the Sabbath. That's the key to the Sabbath right there. It's always been the key to the Sabbath from Genesis chapter 2. The Sabbath was established for man. In other words, it was initially created to be a day to remind us of who God is, to remind us of what He's done for us. It was changed in the Mosaic Law to, to be a day that brings us to repentance. But in both those cases, it's for our spiritual good. It's a benefit to us. It was made to be a benefit for us. They changed it. The Pharisees changed it to be a burden to us. So that's what Jesus is saying. The Sabbath was made for you. It's a benefit to you. It's healthy for you. It's good for you. But in Judaism, the Sabbath became... It became only a shadow of what it was meant to be. See, the Pharisees missed the whole point. And by the way, if you and I start setting up rules, these are things you can do, these are things you can't do, we miss the whole point just like the Pharisees did. Listen, the 
I wish I could stay here. I'm not even sure I got this across correctly when I wrote it. I rewrote this seven times trying to get it, try to figure out how to say it the right way. The Sabbath day was to be a day meant you to stop working. Everybody with me? Cease your busyness. They made it a day of endless works. You see, they made not doing something just as much a work as doing something. See, the day of rest is supposed to be a day where you just stop what you're doing and just contemplate God. But they didn't have time to contemplate God because they were worried around worrying. Oh, oh, don't, don't, don't pick that pan up. Oh, whoa, whoa, don't do. Are you with me? They're not doing anything, but in essence, they're doing everything. They're working, 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 trying to earn their salvation. It became a day of salvation works as opposed to a day that was meant to just be a day of contemplation. Therefore, they never found rest at all. Are, are you with me? Am I, am, I, am I explaining that the right way? See, not doing something can, some, can be just as much a work as doing something. And they literally made it a day of endless work. See, when Jesus comes, folks, He is the one that brings true rest. Now we can seize all our efforts to earn salvation. He literally did away with the Sabbath and He replaced it with Himself. See, that's what we have to understand about, about the New Testament. Jesus didn't come and say, well, that, the first Sabbath, well, we need to change it to the second. Now I got a new Sabbath. No. He says, I'm here. Something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the Sabbath. You looking for rest? Your rest is found in, in me, not in a day. There is never one command in the New Testament to keep the Sabbath, not one. The other nine commands, the other nine commandments are mentioned at least once, some of them several times. The fourth commandment is never mentioned in the New Testament, not one time. There is never a command to keep the Sabbath. Is that a cricket? Anyway. Listen, the, the rest that, the rest that the New Testament is concerned about is a rest for the soul. It's a rest for the spirit. It comes from the gospel. It comes from the good news that's being preached. It doesn't come from a day. See, that's a rest that only Jesus offers. And that's, by the way, what the New Testament teaches. Let's look at a few scriptures. Hebrews 4, 9 through 11. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You see, in the New Testament, the Sabbath rest is salvation in Jesus Christ. It's not a day. That's why it, there's never a day mentioned in the New Testament. It's not about... It, the Sabbath rest is a spiritual rest that you find in Jesus Christ only. He has replaced the, the Old Testament Sabbath. Romans 14, 5 through 6. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Listen, Paul's writing the letter to the Romans, and there were people that, there were really spiritually mature people, and there were people who had just come to Christ. And there was a lot of Jews who were coming into the church, and they didn't know what to do. Should I, should I, can I, can I eat? Can I eat pork now? I don't know. Do I, what about the Sabbath day? Do I have to still observe? They were torn between the two. And, and Paul says to them, look, let them work it out. Don't, don't put any guilt on them. 
Let them grow. Let them figure this thing out. Don't, don't, don't try to hold, make a whole different set of rules on them and put burdens on them like the Pharisees did. Let them work it out on their own. He's being very understanding there. Y'all see that? Now, later on, he will write another letter to a church in Galatia, and he has a completely different tone. Okay? A completely different tone. Listen to this one. Galatians 4, 8 through 11. He writes, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more because you observe days and months and seasons and years? Now, this is a different group. See, this is a group who now is observing the Sabbath and they're saying, I'm better than them. I'm more holy because I don't do certain things on this day. And Paul comes down on them and says, what, who do you think, why would you enslave yourself to that again? That, those things are worthless. They're weak. I mean, it's a completely different tone that's coming out of his mouth here. Because the first, everybody see the difference that in Romans, those people were still young. They were immature. And they were still growing and they were still struggling with these things. And he says, look, be patient with them. But he calls the Galatians out because he, these people should know better than to try to set one day above another and say that I'm more holy, I'm more righteous, because I, 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 I honor one day above another, another. He says, you should know better than that. In Colossians, he writes this, and this is the grand statement right here. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, here's the statement. Those are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. See, the Sabbath was a shadow of rest. The real rest is in Jesus Christ. Why would I go back to a Sabbath? Why would I go back somehow to and rely on a day when I've got the real thing? I mean, that, that statement right there, I don't know how you make it any clearer than that. The requirement of observing the Sabbath is gone. It's done away with. Why? Because the real thing, the real rest is here in Jesus Christ. That, that stuff was a shadow. It's gone. It's over. It's done away with. And it's been replaced with the real substance, which is, which is Jesus Christ. I don't know how you can get any, any clearer than that. You see, guys, if you're a believer, you live in the reality of rest. You don't live in rituals and symbols that point to the rest. You're in the rest. You have rested in Jesus Christ. We've rested from the requirement of works to earn our salvation. We have a taste of paradise now, and, and we will one day receive that eternally. Now, i got a few minutes, got about ten minutes, I want to answer a few questions. So what does the Sabbath mean for us today in River of Life or in any, any church in America or across the world? What should the Sabbath mean to us? I want to answer four questions and i got to do these real quickly. Number one, what is the Sabbath for today? Should Christians keep the Sabbath? What day should we keep it? And how should we observe it? Okay, so I'm going to answer a few things. By the way, there's a lot of controversy over all these questions. Okay, at the end of the day, you got to figure it out for yourself. I mean, I can't tell you what to do. You've got to be convinced, as, as Paul said in Romans, be convinced in your own mind that what you're doing is... Is right, But I want to try to help you by answering these four questions. Number one, what is the Sabbath for? 
Jesus said the Sabbath was made for the man. What was he, what, what was he referring to? He's referring to Genesis chapter 2. See, the Sabbath is not created in Exodus 20. The Sabbath is created on the first week of creation. Jesus said the Sabbath was made on that very first week for you. It's for your benefit, for your health, for your, for your good. Everybody with me? See, the fact that God set apart one day on the very first week of creation, I think implies that we, by the way, who are made in His image, that we should also set apart one day to remember Him as our Creator. I, I think that's just implied. We are to cease from our busyness. Not, it's not a physical thing. That's good, by the way. I think it's a good thing to do. But it's not about physical. It's about the spiritual. It's always been about the spiritual. We cease from our busyness and we stop and we spend time with our Creator to be refreshed in soul and to be refreshed in spirit. Again, this is not about us having a day of recreation and leisure. Recreation may refresh the body, but we need worship to refresh the soul. That's what God's concerned with. Paul says, look, bodily exercise, that profits about this much. He's not concerned about that. He's concerned about our spirit. Recreation and leisure, let's face it, it's self-centered, right? But worship brings us to focus on Jesus Christ, focuses on our Lord. That's what we should set this day aside for. John Calvin said this, God did not command men simply to keep holiday every seventh day as if he delighted in their indolence or our laziness, but rather that they, being released from all other business, might more readily apply their minds to the Creator of the world. I just think that the seventh day was set aside at the very beginning as a, as a, as a memorial to, to Him, as a memorial to the Creator. And I think we should still keep that today. I think we should set aside one day, stop everything we're doing, and remember Him. Think about Him what He's done for us. I, I just think that's, that's fairly obvious. Should, we, should Christians or must Christians keep the Sabbath? Now, this is where the rage is. Now, again, forget the day for just a minute. If I ask you, should Christians set aside one day to worship the Lord, one day where they cease from all their busyness, most, that's, that's a real, we're not under the law, right? We're under grace. This is where the controversy. My answer is yes. Yes, you should. But guys, we should do it out of love, not out of some legal sense of duty. We do it out of love, not out of some legal sense of, of duty. Remember Jesus' words, the Sabbath was made for the man. The Sabbath was made for the man. It is good for you. It is beneficial for you spiritually to set aside that day. So yes, I think it's the right thing to do. I don't think you... That doesn't mean you... There's no... By the way, there is no rules. Anybody that starts setting down rules for you is completely going back the wrong way. It's not about rules. It's about setting aside a day to stop your businessness and remember Him. Think about Him. And when you do that, that is healthy for you spiritually. It's beneficial for you spiritually. How, how would, why would Christians not do it? But again, we have to remember when it comes to the Sabbath, we're not under any legal restrictions. Not doing something on a day doesn't make you any more holy than somebody who does that thing. It doesn't make you any difference at all. It's got nothing to do with that. Okay, there are no legal restrictions. That is done away with. Martin Luther, in fact, said this. 
if anybody tries to make the day holy just for the day's sake, if anybody anywhere sets up its observance as a Jewish foundation, in other words, you have to do this to be a Christian, Martin Luther said, then I order you to work on it, to ride on it, to dance on it, to feast on it, to do anything that shall remove your encroachment on Christian liberty. See, that's what, that's what Paul said when he wrote to the Galatians. Why are you going back to that? You've got the real Jesus Christ. Why would you go back and try to establish all these rules and regulations and somehow base your salvation and your righteousness on that? Why would you do that? Martin Luther, in his characteristic, just brush way that he does, he's saying the same thing. Don't do that. What day should we keep it? If we all agree, yes, we believe we should set aside a day, what day should it be? Let me tell you, I disagree with those who worship on Saturday. I disagree with those who go back to the Exodus and say, in the fourth commandment says it has to be Saturday then we have to keep it on Saturday. I disagree with that. I think the New Testament is abundantly clear that we are not under the Mosaic Law, that, God, that, that Christ did away with that requirement. But I also disagree. Now, this is me. I also disagree with a church that would come along and say, hey, let's have church on Friday night so you can have your whole weekend free. I just completely disagree with that because the whole basis behind that is what? What, what's, what are, oh, just give me another day for recreation and leisure and doing what I want to do. That's not what God intended. The whole reasoning behind that just seems wrong for me. In fact, I think there are very solid reasons why we should do it on Sunday. Now, we know from Scripture that Christ rose on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And when He did that, that day very quickly in the early church took on a very important significance. And we see this throughout the New Testament. Acts chapter 20, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. Very quickly, the, that first day of the week, because that was the day Jesus rose on, that, that became the day they met together to break bread, to, to eat in one another's houses. They got together on that. Now, that, that didn't mean they didn't get together on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays. We, are, we know, by the way, we're to worship what day? Every day, every day should be. We, it's not about one day. But they set aside one day where they gathered together. And they did it on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2, Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the church of Galatia, also you are to do on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside. Why the first day of the week? Because that was the day they got together. And he said, when you put, come together every week, take something and put it aside so that when I come, I can take that collection and take it to the, to the saints in Jerusalem. On the first day of the week, do that. Because that was the day they met together. If you go through the New Testament, eventually Sunday becomes so precious to the church that it gets its own name. John said in Revelation, says, I, John, I, John, was in the Spirit, what? On the Lord's day. It becomes so important to the early church Sunday that eventually it just quit being called the first day of the week and it actually got its own name and they called it the Lord's Day. By the way, this is go if you get outside of the Bible and you look at the second century and the third century, this just continued all the way down the road. Sunday became that day of worship. Sunday became that Sabbath. By the way, John is writing in 96 A.D., which is 40 to 50 years after Paul's letters. 
And this day, again, has its own, and it, it has continued all the way down. Even today, we still call Sunday the Lord's Day in the same way that John did. Now, you may say, would it be wrong to choose another day to worship on? If we, as a, if the board decided, you know, let's just do Friday night. Listen, I, it's not, it's not about the day, right? But who am I to break tradition? Who am I? I just can't do that. Listen, it just seems to me that God has providentially set aside Sunday as the Lord's day. Who am I to come in and say, yeah, you know, Friday night sounds better to me. I, I, I'm not going to do that. I mean, if, I, if the early church did it, and I believe God was behind that, and it was providentially done, so that today, all over the world, Christians get together on this day. I, I'm not going to be the one to, to... Could you do it? I guess you could. I'm not going to say you can't. But again, I don't want to be the one to break tradition. This is the one everybody wants to know. How do we observe it? Can I play golf can, this afternoon? I know somebody I know is going to play golf this afternoon. Can I, can I fish? Can I go shopping? Can I clean the house? Can we go out to eat? Can we, can we do all of those things? Listen, you can do anything you want to do. If you don't get that from the things that we've read, there, there's no restrictions in the Bible on what you, what you can and can't do. Right? And I can't deal with every question. But I do want to give you two very broad principles for observing the Lord's Day. Number one, do not do it legalistically. I think that's very clear in Scripture. Do not do it legalistically. See, God looks on our hearts. It's never been about following these rules. We Listen, does, our, does the history of religion not teach you that we are prone to make rules? Yes or no? The history of religion shows us that we are prone to set up rules and say, boy, if you'll just follow those rules you'll be closer to God. And in fact, our hearts are so far from Him, we don't even know who He is. But boy, we follow the rules. So if you set up Sunday as a Sabbath day and it's all about rules, don't do this, don't do this, you fall right back into the trap of the Pharisees. You fall right back into the, into the church at Galatia where Paul would write to you and say, what in the world are you doing? Are you crazy? Why would you enslave yourself to a system that's just a shadow of the reality of Jesus Christ. Why would you ever do that? So do not let anyone ever force you into some legalistic observance of Sunday. That is not what it's about. In fact, when we do that, what, let me tell you what follows. What do we start doing? We start judging real quick, don't we? Oh, look, yeah, <laughs> he's going fishing. I would never do that. Oh, he's playing, he's playing golf. I, well, that, that's, just, that's just not, that ain't holy. See, we just, that's what we start doing. It, it's, it's all about pride. It, it becomes a judging thing. Don't let... Listen, if you've got in your conscience, if there's something that your conscience just will not allow you to do, then don't do it. But don't force your beliefs on somebody else. That's where we really start having problems. See, the idea of the Lord's Day is not to list a, a bunch of things you can do and a bunch of things you, you cannot do. So don't observe it legalistically. But here's the thing I think is important. View it as a gift from God, not a duty to be fulfilled. Remember what Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for the man. It's good for you. It's beneficial for you. It's healthy for you. View it as a gift from God. Listen, if God has established a lot of principles for our benefit, hadn't He, in the Bible. 
Certain things that if we follow will stay out of trouble. You don't follow them, you get in trouble. I think the Sabbath, this one day, is a good principle to follow. If you take a day out of the week to remember the Lord, to contemplate the Lord, to understand what He's done for us, that's good for you. And if you don't do it, you, you don't do it at your own peril. It's a dangerous thing not to take that day. Because, listen, how many of you know that just like going to church is a habit? You think going to church is a habit? I do. Get out of it and see how hard it is to go back. Get in it. Get it. Get in the. Get in the fellowship. Get in the church. Get. Get in there. And boy, it just becomes a habit. It just becomes this good thing. And every year, every week, we're coming together and we're we're singing and we're we're reading scriptures and we're proclaiming the gospel and we're fellowshipping with one another. And it builds you up, and you're healthy spiritually. Stop doing that for a while. Stop going to church, and watch what happens to you spiritually. It just, it, it'll all fall apart. There's a reason that God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, and set it apart because it's healthy for us. Listen, it's not a day that's more holy than, than any other. It's not a day where there are restraints on how we are to behave. It's a day when we celebrate our salvation. The first day, remember, was a, uh, the first, very first seventh day was remember, a reminder of God the Creator. The Mosaic seventh day or the Sabbath there was a reminder of God the lawgiver. Our seventh day, the day that we set aside now, is a reminder of God our Savior. It's a reminder of what He did for us. It's a day, again, when we come together, we read, we preach, we sing, we fellowship. It's all about building us up spiritually. It's a day when we take time to remember and focus on the most important reality of your life, and that is your salvation. Everything else pales in comparison to that. It's nothing in comparison to the reality of your salvation. That should be everything for you. How could we not take just one day a week to not only remember that, but to give thanks for that? Because that is a, is a good thing. Next week, we will continue on Genesis chapter 2 with the meaning of man. Um, it's going to be good talking about... Remember what we said. When you read Genesis... Chapter 1 is basically a 10,000-foot view of creation. When you get to chapter 2, they, the Bible comes back and just focuses on day 6. It just focuses on the creation of man, and that's what we'll look at uh, next week. Let's pray. Father.